Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, this is Stuart Roberts, founder of Haircuts for Homeless, and welcome to the Hear Me, See Me podcast. I'm going to be talking to people who are truly inspirational to me, some you may have heard of, and some you haven't, but you really need to hear their story. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast. Today I've got a lovely lady who I know very well. Uh, She's our team leader in Croydon for Haircuts for Homeless. Um, we've had a bit of an up and down with haircuts for homeless in Croydon, but that's for later in the story. But to begin with, um, uh, I want to introduce you to Annabelle Richards. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Stuart, how are you? Very good. Uh, before we go into the haircuts for homeless story about us, tell us a bit about yourself, like, you know, where you, where you come from, love. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I come from Croydon, I'm born and bred. Uh, some people call it the Cronks. It's I call it South London. Some people won't. Some people will say it's Surrey. Yeah. But uh, I think officially now it's it's Greater London. Yeah. Um, I live on the London side of Croydon, and it certainly feels a bit more like London than yeah. other parts of it. Um, but yeah, it's a very mixed borough. We've got very wealthy parts of the borough, and we've got very poor parts of the borough, yeah. which I think is a similar story through London, yeah. right? London. But, yeah. uh, Are you really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's my hometown. I love it. it. It's had, it's very up and down, like haircuts for homeless in Croydon. Um, and at the moment, unfortunately, it's going through a bit of a down, down slight, you know, down period. The council have had a lot of problems with finance and stuff. But you know what? The community is amazing. Like, it really is. Um, especially where I live. Like, we all look after each other. Yeah. Um, and I like being part of the community, and, and that's partly why I started up Haircuts for Homeless. I always wanted to give back in my career at some point. I was just waiting for the right time, and I can't remember the year. Was it 2016, 17, something like that? Probably, yeah, it was quite early on, about 17, I would think. Yeah, it's quite early yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, and I got had the opportunity to sort of become completely self-employed in my work, so I thought I could fit this in. And I, I think I found you on Google, Stuart. Stuart. I, I didn't did. even know about Haircuts for Homeless. You Googled me. But uh, I think as well, what struck me immediately when we first met, you are, you're a Croydon girl and you absolutely love Croydon. I used to say you <laughs> work on the tourist board because you really do shout out, shout out for Croydon, don't you? Yeah. Well, it's, it's got so much going for it. And... Um, Unfortunately, we've not been represented by the people that look after the borough. They haven't embraced the culture. Like, there's so much, so much of it, you know, especially yeah. musically. We have huge, like, dubstep was created here. Yeah. Um, garage was not created here, but it, we had a, we played a huge part in the garage mo- mo- movement. Yeah. And then you've got, like, lots of artists. That, there's a huge tech industry yeah. that was... Um, it was based in a well. They kept on meeting in a place called Matthew's Yard. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from that point onwards, like the tech industry exploded in Croydon. I think it's the biggest um, industry of tech outside Shoreditch, or it certainly was. I'm not sure yeah. about it now. It moved so fast, right? But yeah, yeah, it's it's got so much going for it, and and we've got the Home Office here, so it's a real um, blend of different cultures, you know. And I love being around um, in a melting pot. I think it's, yeah. it's it enhances your life, you know. 
from what I know of you, you've got two passions, haven't you? Sort of like hairdressing and music. Yeah. Music, yeah. And also education, like yeah. children, like home education. As you know, I didn't send my school, my son to school for a long while. Yeah. Um, and that ties in with what we're doing, which we'll probably talk about later. But um, yeah, those are my two passions. I still love my job. I feel very, very privileged to be a hairdresser. Yeah. And um, every client I or guest I see, whoever they are, wherever they're from, it's just a pleasure and a privilege to do their hair and to express my creativity, but to give, you know, what it's like when you've done somebody's hair and they feel better at the end of the appointment than they did when they came in. I mean, there's just nothing like it. And you get that every day. I know. We get it every day, and especially when we go to our sessions. Um, so yeah. where you, what made you get into hairdressing then? What was that? Um, basically, because I tried everything else, you know, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. And at, we, strangely, I went to see a career advisor. My mum was desperate she, with this young girl running rife through the streets of Croydon <laughs> um, and she took me to this this old guy in Crystal Palace and I remember him in sitting in the corner it was a really dark room and he was asking me all about myself and everything and what I'd done previously and blah 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 I think I was about 18 or 19 and at the end of it he said have you ever thought of hairdressing and beauty because obviously the academia was not shining through and um, and I was like, well, funnily enough, I've forgotten to tell you, but I do work part-time in a hairdresser's. He said, yeah, I think you should do that. And I was really fortunate because in Croydon at the time, I don't think Tony and Guy had yet um, been established because that became the main salon in Croydon soon after I started my hairdressing. But the salon that I was working in was the place where all the ballroom dancers in the UK, you know the people that do strictly oh, yeah. kind of dancing? Yeah. They all came here and had their hair done. We were doing foil highlights and everyone yeah. else was doing the cap type thing. It was that kind of thing, end of the uh, yeah. mid-90s. Yeah. And anyway, the woman that ran it, she was the literally the only person that had ever believed in me ever throughout my whole life apart from my parents and she said you're going to make a brilliant hairdresser and I just think I, I owe so much to that woman because it, it really means such a lot when somebody says I believe in you you know at such a sort of vulnerable and impressionable age and she did and I, I just went on from there really and I, I actually moved to Tony and Guy and carried on from there and I was very very fortunate to be able to travel the world and work in different salons for them so yeah yeah that's amazing. Um, and, and, yeah, yeah. You know, people who come across you in life, it's, it's so pivotal, wasn't it? Like, if you hadn't come across in that salon, you maybe was in a different one who didn't believe in your your past change, didn't they? It's so true. It is true. And then also, you know, the clients and the guests that we we see, they bring so much to us. Like we're like fountains of knowledge. I feel yeah. hairdressers because yeah. we just get people from all walks of life, and you just learn so much. It gives you such a great perspective yeah. on life. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Another thing I love about it. Um, so, what got you into music then? Oh God! As soon as I heard an electronic beat yeah. in my car, I was like what the fuck is this? Like, I loved it. I was just like, so I was just listening to all the pirate radio stations. Whenever I could, I would go out raving, clubbing. You know, yeah. I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I was just really? there for the music. Yeah. And um, I kept on asking my boyfriends at the time, can you teach me to DJ? Because everybody had a pair of Technics. Yeah. You know, yeah. well, tens. 
and none of them would except one guy Henry who was a friend of mine and he, he we were in a club aquarium in Shoreditch and he goes I'll teach you and I was like cool so he taught me and then yeah I started DJing and friends recommended me to play on this boat in the Thames and literally from that point onwards I got a radio show pirate on pirate radio radio show and it just snowballed I didn't mean I didn't want to become a DJ to do it as a career or yeah. you know anything like that. it was just a passion of mine and then when when I was getting paid as well it was like flipping bonus do you know what I mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was very very fortunate and I, I I kind of rode the wave of like it was coming out of garage and it was going into soulful house and I rode that wave and there was a lot of women female DJs at the time playing soulful house and we all played in the same radio station together so we all became quite successful in our own right and I was I was playing for people like um head candy um I was defected once or twice and um I traveled the world and I was I was very again very fortunate yeah yeah was that before you had your boy so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as as my relationship was settling down and I knew I wanted to have kids, I kind of just yeah. came off the circuit. And once you come off the circuit, it's quite hard to get back on. Yeah. But I still go out clubbing, still yeah. kind of 90, 93 feet east this Saturday, can't bloody wait. Yes. But uh, it's um, it's a more like daytime things. It finishes at 10pm, so I'll be tucked up in bed by 11, you know. Oh, it sounds like my sort of rave. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So yeah, but I I just love music. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you when you had you know you had your son, what what? Because I was fascinated when I first met you. What gave you the decision or made you come to the decision of, of taking him out of uh, education? Well, he wasn't in a he was never in education. It was like, what, right. do I send him to school or not? And the choice right. of schools was pretty poor where I lived. And yeah. I I came. He was actually a client. I was doing her hair. And she was home educating them. She was telling me about it for a couple of years, but it just used to go over my head. And then, of course, when you yeah. come to make a decision, like quite an important decision about where your child will be educated, it, I kind of started to listen. And I was like, wow, that sounds quite cool, actually. And I started reading about it. And then um, when the choice school choice came in, I was just like, I do not want my son to go to that school. And by that time, I'd kind of decided that I was going to try it anyway. Yeah. Um, and the main reasons were, were because he could not sit still and I knew that if he was put into a classroom he would just be confined and I think it's okay in the first year of school because they're quite sort of they don't have to sit down at desk but second third year I just knew he would be labeled as naughty um he just wouldn't be able to sit down for more than two minutes five minutes and I just didn't want him to be labeled and told as a child when you're again when you're so impressionable and your brain is so soft and you're learning all the time that you're not doing any you're not doing the right thing I just thought that's going to affect him for the rest of his life and I knew it would have done and I I was it was the best decision I ever ever made a hundred percent I initially I was going to send him to school when he was seven like the Scandinavian countries but by that time he was just having a whale of a time you know he was we were out every day that we we joined a massive community in South London I think there's currently about 2.8 thousand families in South London that are home educating so we were part of that community and there's just things going on all the time and far far more than any primary school could ever offer ever off the children so he was um we were doing workshops museums um beach woods everything he was just living his life it was just so good he he didn't sit down at a desk 
until he was about nine. Um, And he taught himself to read and write autonomously, just through mainly through gaming. And I just believe if you leave children to learn, if you let them grow up in an environment where you enrich their environment with their interests and stuff like that, then they they will just take it and they will roll and they will learn in their own time. I mean, you know, you kind of think that kids should learn to read and write at age four, five, six. It's just not in their physiology to be able to do that. Like he couldn't hold a pen till he was six or seven, you know, but he's perfectly literate now and reads and writes really well. And I kept him out till he was 12, till he was ready. And sorry to waffle on about it, but it's such a passion of mine. And, um, it, when he was ready psychologically and, and emotionally to handle all the things that school brings, because there's a huge amount of pack mentality, um, yeah. you know, that bullying and stuff like that, and relationships are tricky. You're kind of people say, "Oh, how are they socialised?" Well, in home education, well, he was a lot better socialised because he was socialising with children of all different ages in a free environment not forced it's forced socialization in schools and you have to either get on or you don't and that's really really difficult especially if your your brain's not ready for all of that and your emotions are not ready for all of that so at 12 he was ready and also we'd had the pandemic and all the like home education was slowly coming all the groups and everything shut down obviously the same as schools and it was quite slow coming back up and I wanted to carry on a bit more work with more of my work. So it yeah. kind of just felt about the right time. And he's flying. You've never, ever known he'd not been at school for nine years. Oh. And we didn't even study one bit of the curriculum because you don't have to in this country. It's not legal. He had right. never studied it once and he's gone in there and he's absolutely fine. Yeah. Imagine. So it just shows you. Hungry to learn as well. Now he's yeah, hungry to learn. He's like, mum, that's why, because at one point I was like, how you get, he's like, mum, I'm there to learn and I'm learning stuff. So, and he said yeah. that to me and he's only 13 now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like amazing. So, and I do believe that it is connected to what we do because I see so many men that have just, I mean, obviously it's complex and it's not just about not going to school or going to school. I appreciate that. There's many, many reasons for being homeless, but you know, just that detrimental thing because the boys were forced to sit down when they physically needed to move yeah. between the ages of or however long it takes. And I just think it's so detrimental to them. And then, they, you know, they grow up thinking they're naughty. Yeah. You know, what yeah. do they have? I've, I've had experience of it. My, my, um, my sister's grandson, you know, is severely autistic and uh, he, he just used to have meltdowns because he would get put in a room, isolated, because of his behaviour. It was it, to, to a normal kid, it's, it's upsetting, but to him, that's something not normal, to a, a regular, I don't know, you know. A neuro, <laughs> neurotypical, it's called a neurotypical. Thank you for that, a neurotypical kid. But like for poor, but, but for him, you know, he was devastated. He put down something yeah. wrong, he couldn't understand it, couldn't grasp it. And a complete miracle as if it'd been as it'd been locked like in solitary, you know, like the only place that you allow to do that is in prisons. Like the the things that go on in schools would just not happen in the workplace. They wouldn't be allowed. No. So why are we allowing it to happen in schools? I just do not understand it. And schools are are like our own entity into themselves. Yeah. You know, they really are. And things that go on in there, like isolating children. Um, I've just 
um, come up back from Newcastle and I've got a friend who um, home educates her kids and she actually now works in a school and she's like it just makes me my decision to home educate them even more justified because she constantly sees these these things going on and she's it's just criminal I I don't know what they think they're just trying to control them I get that but you you can't do that to children it's just awful yeah if my son was ever isolated at school I'd be down there like a shot I, I would never have it I don't doubt it. Can imagine. <laughs> I would take you on. I've got... Uh, <laughs> um, it was interesting what you said about gaming, you know, like you learned from gaming. Yeah. And, and I'm inter- I'm, I'm just in, in partway through a, um, um, a book, Mindfulness for the Frazzled, by Ruby Wax, for myself, you know, but she does branch into Mindfulness for Children. And it was... Uh, that She said that they're working on... Uh, something to do with gaming, but enabling it's got tools in it that enable kids to um, discover mindfulness. It, so it's like rather than like she says, there's the gaming's there. You know, it's no good stuff making out it's not there and that they're not they're not allowed to do it. It's part of what their their modern day uh, education for them in, in a way they can learn different things from it. So why not put the tools in it so that they can use it? And like you said, you're you're boy learned a lot of his literacy from it you know 100 yeah, i'd say probably 90 percent of his literacy yeah it's well it's a different tool isn't it so what you know yeah absolutely no good, no good then being on that machine all day long well you know like well let's let's make sure it's a positive experience 100 percent. and and the other thing as well and i i understand how people and um, parents become very worried because it is a new era we've never had this problem before we're a new generation of parents basically treating sort of what can look like game addiction but the way i approached it was and this, i think this is really important i said to my son um he can play on the games for as long as he wants yeah but he has gaming cannot get in the way of Sleeping, peeing, pooing, eating, exercise and drinking. As long as he does those six things when he needs to do them, then he can game as much as he wants. And he is completely self-regulated on the games. I often come in when he's been you know, on it for an hour, say, and he's like picking up his scooter and moving it around and just just basically flexing his limbs. And I don't think it's almost like a conscious decision to do that. I think it's unconscious because I've just drummed it into him since he was very, very young. You have to have a break. You have to stop and eat. You have to, you know, and all of that. And that's the way that we approach it. And and children do. We've got to trust them, but they do become self-regulated. And it might not be in the time span that we expect them or we want them to do, but it will come. And that's where I think a lot of, our society we don't trust children and if we trusted them a bit more and gave them a bit more leverage to be a bit more autonomous you would be surprised at the results because my son is a perfect example of that and I know many other children that are in my community you know well yeah because it fascinated me there's a a, sport moving on to haircuts for homeless When, when we first met you reached out to me and we looked at Croydon and we managed to get a place for it um, you was really you really impressed me as um, you know as a, a single you were single mum then wasn't you? Yeah, still am. Yeah, yeah. Proud. What one single mums? Uh, single mum, uh, self-employed. You know, running running your own business, homeschooling, 
mm. and then found the time to set up a project with us. You know, mm. so I was, you know, and I was really impressed with you. And and I used to say to people about you a lot of the time, you know, like you know, because sometimes people say, "I haven't really got time." Say, "Well, I know this woman." And she's like, <laughs> yeah. So you did get talked about, you know, all the time. Oh, thank you. But you know, uh, it, it did. It struck me, but you did, and you found it because you had that passion about wanting to make it happen. And we started off in crisis, didn't we? In 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 Croydon, that's where it began. Yeah, crisis is such a fantastic organisation. Like yeah. I love crisis. It's um, a holistic charity, so they look at it everything holistically for their guests. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful charity. Yeah. The only thing for us was there was a lot of red tape, wasn't there? It yeah. was just it, a little bit difficult. It didn't work very well for us because of their... This is the thing, when people don't... They don't always understand that we have to partner with certain uh, charities or, or, or homeless centres. And we're sort of... We, we, we lay out what we need from them, but there's also stuff that they need from us. And sometimes it just doesn't fit. As yeah, well. and it was a bit heavy, yeah. wasn't it? Because it, it was it was so difficult for get a guest from the street in to get a haircut with us. There were so many yes. things to cross. Whereas yeah. when we find a place where everyone's there and it's more of an open environment, then we can really perform, can't we? Yeah, that's right. It's so true because again, our job is like quite visual, isn't it? Like yeah. what we actually do. If somebody sees what we're doing and we they see that we're doing it okay, then they're like, oh, hello. You know, yeah. and um, we didn't quite find that in crisis. I mean, it did work for a couple of years. We kind yeah. of battled on through, and it was good. Yeah. It was good to get established and really good for me to learn how, learn the ropes and yeah. get a little few, few little hairdressers aware of what we were doing and stuff like that. And, I mean, you know, I had some lovely people come and help yeah, me. They were really, really, really yeah. good. Um, yeah. But for, I think the place where we are now, which is Evolve, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah. Even where, just where we're situated, because we're... The front door's in front of us yeah. and there's glass. We're in a room, but there's like a big glass window and a glass door. And everyone who comes through the front door can see us immediately. And so they know what's going on. So they're like, oh, can I go on the list? You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's really, really working well. And also, I do like the fact that there's a mixture of men and women in this Evolve. Yeah. Um, because my passion is to help everybody, but particularly women. Because yeah. most of the time I can relate to their some of their situation. Yeah. Because of what's happened in my life, you know, I can relate to some of it, and um, I've just—I'm just a huge, big fat feminist. I call myself. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm very passionate about helping I? women. I'm a big I know you as well, well. <laughs> and I love it because life's thrown a few things at me, and 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 some of it's been through my children, like my girls, and you know, and it's—I've it, got—I've got complete empathy. For when when I see a woman going through it, um, and it hits home hard for me, but I think sometimes that natural thing of a woman relating to a woman and a man relating to a man comes to the fore. Like you know, I've seen you in action with people. You put them at ease. You've got you know you've got that love and warmth that they you know open up to you. And sometimes you. you don't get that. I do I do connect quite well with women sometimes, but there's. Sometimes there's that little bit of a, you know, I'm not small, so I'm like a bit, you know, I suppose I, I can be a bit intimidating for someone, a, a woman who's, who's had a lot of bad experience, you know what I mean? But yeah. I also really relate well to the guys because the guy, the, you know, the guys are me, you know, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
at the end of the spectrum where they're down the far way down the road of addictions and that that I was on and and I feel for them because I I know that, that that's where I was would have been you know 100% if I was alive still that's where I would have been so I think there is sometimes that natural thing of sex for sex you know sex is yeah. for the sex is, uh, you know there's a natural even though we all want to be equal there are some things that nature's put well, in yeah it's, it's but it's also relatable experiences you know yeah. and I I believe in equality but I think often what people forget is that 50 percent of the population i.e women we are vulnerable we're yeah. vulnerable in comparison to you know if you take the average man take the average woman just on physique alone, we're yeah. slightly more vulnerable. And yeah. we might be equal and even better in other ways. But yeah. essentially, when push comes to shove, we are vulnerable. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's quite, it's difficult to get that kind of like, um, that across sometimes. Because obviously, there are many powerful and amazing women and doing amazing things. But, you know, and that's, again, you just see the vulnerability, don't you? When you you can see it in both of the sexes, but yeah. quite often the women have been made vulnerable by men even more. You know, they suffer trauma through men. So it's just relatable experiences, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I am enjoying Evolve. I think that another great charity. Yeah. And um it's it's just again a privilege to be working on these lovely people's hair. And they are all lovely, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's we worked together last week, didn't we? We um, yeah, together last week. And there was a lovely lady there, and just at the end, just after I know you had to go because you had a doctor appointment, and I had to leave because I had a hospital appointment. And um, I, I just wish I had the free the afternoon free because one of the ladies had a really severely knotted hair, you know. And it just needed a bit of time spent on it. So I am actually posting off a, a tangle teaser to hopefully one of the people working there might might do it for her, you know, before oh, we... Oh, good. And I left her some spray oil so that that would help to detangle it. But, you know... Yeah, I'll follow that up. Yeah, oh, they're so, so vulnerable. And, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it is often it is, you know, at the hands of men. Um Funny enough, I've done a lot of stuff in the podcast and, and in our work about domestic abuse. Um, and they're coming, coming across the figures, quite surprisingly, I believe it's um, one in four women uh, go through it. Yeah. But also one in six men. Yeah, I, I do know it's, it's high as that figure's high. I thought it would be like one in 50, you know, like naively, but it, it can be, yeah. it's around about one in six, you know, and yeah. that could be, um, you know, gay relationships or, but it's quite often uh, heterosexual relationships, so they're getting that from yeah. from that. And if, yeah. if you're being brought, if you've been taught to not fight back or, you know, you can't hit a lady and all that, if, if you've got someone who's unbalanced and, and, and he's not afraid to attack you, you, yeah, some of these guys are just standing and taking it, and then they've got the shame and shame of not being out to say it. I can't say, I can't say that woman's beat me up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the actual figure as well is though is one in two women. No, but that's one, or two uh, women a week get killed by their male partner. That's but, yeah, that's a yeah. two women a week. You know, two women a week. Two women a week get killed. Shocking. 
Yeah. But equally shocking, yeah, with the, the mouse. And uh, again, that's another thing to touch on is mental health. Yeah. I don't think I've done a single homeless person who hasn't had mental health problems. I don't, no. Not one. No. Not one single person. And that just demonstrates, you know, the lack of knowledge and the lack of um, funding and investment yeah. and resources that yeah. our society, I mean, you know, CAMS, which is the children and adults mental health something it's the it's the basically the arm of the government that look after um mental health in schools but there's always a two-year waiting list you've got a a girl at school cutting her wrist and they're like well you've got to wait two years well you know clearly she's gonna probably kill herself within that time but what i'm trying to say is if cams had started like maybe in the 1960s or the 1970s like we may be so much further on if they'd had that kind of like knowledge to start it all up. But so all through those years, like we're doing the product of the people that had mental health problems and didn't have that support in schools and didn't have it in the home because that's probably where the trauma was creating or exasperating the mental health. And we're now dealing as a society with those people on different levels, whether they be homeless or not. Mm. Um, That's what we're dealing with. So I think it's really, really important to highlight is mental health. And it's really important for both men and girls, sorry, men and women to talk. Yeah, definitely to to talk. Um, But I am, like I was saying, I'm old enough to remember when the government decided to uh, close a lot of the um, facilities down of of mental health places. Um, Yeah. And they called it care in the community. I know, I remember. Do you remember that? Vaguely, vaguely. I was yeah. too young, but I do remember this expression, care in the community. Care in the community. And it, it became, the, there's no care in the community. All it was is just put them in the community. You know, so yeah. people, very, very vulnerable was putting in with no, you, you know, like it didn't match. The, the goal yeah. didn't match the, actual, the, the actuality of it. And people were just left wandering the streets almost. Um, and it, it's never really recovered from that to the point where, even from my own personal experience, I'll share it for anyone who needs to hear it, is that um, like five years ago or something, we lost our business and I was in such a terrible place. In fact, working with homeless kept me going, kept my gratitude up enough to keep me through it. But it was a very dark place. Um, and in the beginning of the pandemic, I had it, another series of events that did it. And most recently, the last few months, I've really hit a dark place. And even though I've got my recovery and I've got um, tools in place that we get through on a day-to-day basis of of staying sober, um, I needed more. And I I found a doctor um, and they recommended me to talk in therapies. Uh, I I, I got to speak to a mental health nurse. She pretty much said that, there's nothing much we can do at the moment, you know, the budgets and stuff, but you must re- say that I've referred you and ring this talking therapist. Now I did that when a few years ago, when I lost my business and they phoned me six months later for a call back. Uh, by which yeah. time, I, I remember I was driving to a homeless project and they come out and say, oh, it's talking therapy. How have you been talking with therapy? And I, uh, I said, yeah. And I thought, oh no, one of the kids has got had an episode or something. And then she went, yeah, it's about you You called. And I said, that was six, seven months ago. And I said, I could have been dead by now. Mm, <laughs> she, yeah. She went to me. 
I take it you don't need the appointment then and hang up on me. <laughs> You're kidding, really? No, I swear. And this time it's been better. And I, evidently that I did hear through someone that 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 Haven has had some more uh, funding go into this area. So there is more facility. And this time round, I have had someone call me back and, I, and I'm on a list. Uh, we had a long chat. They said I need PTSD therapy. Wow, that's good. Deep rooted, but I'm on like a I'm on a list that goes to a panel once every two weeks, so they can right. they, they can discuss so many cases during the time they're together. And if you're not got on that, you have to wait for the next two weeks or probably the two weeks after that. But hopefully, it's going to be weeks rather than months. Yeah, so, yeah. My, my message is to people like if you are struggling, you're suffering. Don't think you can't get any help. Do try to get the help. And do bear with it and keep insisting on it in case you... Because if you've not got, as myself, I mean, you know, I, I've got other things going on, so I can't really afford to go and pay for private counselling. But if 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 you if your only option is, like a lot of people we know, they've just got to have what they can be given, uh, hopefully just, just make yourself known to them and, and keep making yourself known to them. You know, if they yeah. give, I'll just keep emailing them to say how you're feeling and 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 also try and do some of the stuff you can do yourself as i say uh ruby wax book i've got it in the van on loop and i'm just listening to the mindfulness and the tools and and it this sort of stuff you can laugh at but some people mock it but if you get a couple of helpful tools out of it they can make all the difference for you yeah, it's so true. And you're so brave to to do to do that. And it doesn't get commended enough, you know, to go and ask for help. And it yeah. really, really should, especially um, amongst men. It's often, you know, too late or they just don't do it at all. They get through an episode, you know, and then, you know, they just bumble on and then something, yeah. another crisis will happen, you know, but then they'll get, they just, just don't ask for help. I, I mean, I know people close to me that, that are like that, you know, and it is, it's, it's such a shame. It's, it's difficult. Um, I think with talking therapies, though, as well, I think if you've been in the system once, you can refer, self-refer. So you right. don't even know how to go to your GP. You can right. just go to um, NHS Talking Therapies on Google and yeah. just self, self-refer, self which I think is fantastic. And I think probably they've got a little bit better because of the pandemic, because obviously people just, that was just an absolute crisis waiting to happen. You know, all the lockdowns and everything that really has affected, uh, you know, generation upon generation of children and ad- and adults, you know, it was a really tough time. So I think they've had no choice but to invest more and just be a bit more mindful themselves of yeah. the what we need, you know, as a society. But um, that's another reason why our, our job is so good as well, because I feel like we listen. Sometimes if people haven't got that ability to, because some people can't, they some people can't write emails or they, they don't know what to do, they get overwhelmed and they just cannot physically do what they need to do to go and get talking therapies, for example. Yeah. So when we come in sometimes and we're just with them for that hour, you know, I mean, I've, I've stood there and I've been cutting somebody's hair and I've had tears pouring down my cheeks because of the stories that these people are telling me and you're just like, oh my God, it just brings everything into perspective. But, you know, it's wonderful for them because they might not have actually gone into depth, you know, about it or, you know what I mean? And I just feel like it's almost like a therapy session as well. And, you know, I know that's 
banded around a lot, but for these people, it really is sometimes. Yeah. I don't know whether you were there this, I think it wasn't when you were this week, it was the last month that I did. I did two brothers. I think you did one of the brothers this time. They're two brothers and their mother was murdered when they were like six or seven. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and they were put into homes and they were put separated, you yeah. know, because that's what happened back in the eighties. Yeah. And, um, They've never recovered from that. And both of them are alcoholics. Yeah. You know, what chance did these kids have if their mother was murdered yeah. and raped and murdered? And then, yeah. you know, they were separated as young boys and yeah. just moved from foster home to foster home to foster home and abused in those situations. Yeah. That's what happened. You know, yeah. what chance have these people's got? No. You know, no, and what what and and people say, oh, what can you do? You know, you're just cutting the hair. But the, the difference is, is what you've just said. You can listen. And yeah. I've often been approached by people who work in the centres that we we're at, and they say a particular guest, they'll go, I can't. I've never seen them engage with someone like that. We've got professionals who they just won't engage with. And then I've just sort of been hearing that how they've opened up to you, and it's because mm -hmm. it's that little bit of detachment, isn't it? We're we're not part of the system where we're just a you know a little yeah. part of their day you know and we're actually caring for them because we're doing their hair and, yeah you know they probably haven't had many people care for them yeah. in their throughout their whole life you oh. know not genuine unadulterated 100% giving them that just that hour to actually care for them and do something for them with no strings attached yeah do you know what I mean it's 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 so like intricate on so many levels what we do yeah. you know and getting close to them the intimacy as well you know it's intimate in a in a social sense yeah you know yeah and and this your what your what's emanating from you now is is that anyone who wanting to be a team leader for haircuts Homeless, if you've got the passion that annabelle's got you're going to make a great, as she is, a great team leader. Because you, 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 it's no good doing it as a thing you think you ought to do or, you know, something that, you know, the odd person may even want to do it to right, raise their profile or something. You know, it does happen. But if you've got this genuine passion for people, you are going to make a great team leader. Um, but what we also need now, so we sort of, as we come to the end of it, we need this really try and call out for we desperately need volunteers don't we yeah we really do I mean before the pandemic at crisis when we were at crisis I had a whole team of people it was great I you know maybe because it was new or something like that I'm not too sure um I, I don't know whether it's the industry changing as well because I've had a few problems I've been like bouncing from salon to salon I'm self-employed within salons and yeah. I had a few issues in salons as well and I just don't know what's going on like but anyway, whatever it is, um, and it's it's only two hours, but you don't even have to do the full two hours, right? Yeah. You could just do one hour or however you feel comfortable and you can come within. It's 1 to 3 p.m. on the yeah. first Tuesday of every month in a central Croydon location. Yeah. And um, it, you don't have to come for all of that time. You can come for some part of it or all of it, yeah. you know. Um, it's, it's a couple of hours once a month. Yeah, once it's a month. Of people, you yeah. Know? If, if you can't, I'm going to be I'm going to be as wrong on it. If you can't spare that for other people, you may want to question you, the balance in your life. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate, 
the gratitude and the pleasure you get from it will feed you for the next three weeks, you know, because it, it feeds the soul, doesn't it? It does. And everyone is so grateful and so yeah. polite. And yeah. sometimes as well, I've heard hairdressers worrying about if they if people are clean. Yeah. Well, of course they're clean. They're probably just the same as when you yeah. work in a a normal salon, you know, come people yeah. coming in and maybe they haven't washed their hair that morning. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's just nothing different to any oh. from working in a salon, but just a lot more rewarding. Yeah, yeah. And it's it depends on the places. I mean, it, somewhere where we go, like the Croydon one is that they're living there uh, or staying there, and but they've got facilities that they can. They often go and wash their hair, so we can do a. Uh, sometimes they fib, don't they, and say they've washed it. Yeah, they do yeah. sometimes fib. And it's the ones you would never think they would yeah, We caught you. We caught you. <laughs> yeah, we know. I, I know. The minute that air dryer goes on that hair, if that's, not, if that's been wet down instead of washed, trust me, I know immediately, and I did. And you get a very quick blow dry, and it's not very good because it's not clean. But it, yeah. it then... If we'll do it, you know, we'll do it. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and sometimes, sometimes it's street homeless and they've not been out of wash for a long time. But it's not that bad, you know. The more you do it, it's not that bad. You just do the best you can with what you're given. And, you know, it's like it can really, really give you a great new focus on life if you, if you, if you volunteer for this. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, one other thing that I've really um, got from it is that I'm not afraid of homeless people that I see on the street anymore. I'm no. really not. Like before I would I would just walk past and I'd be like, oh my God, that's so awful. But I just keep walking. I might give them a bit of money or whatever. Yeah. But I but now I just be like, are you all right, mate? How are you? You know yeah. what I mean? Especially, yeah. you know, if it's someone that looks in need, like, are you okay? Can I help you? It's yeah. just given me that confidence because I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, it has really changed the way I approach homeless people and, it, and it's yeah. made me even more empathetic empath, empathetic Ooh. empathy you know what I mean yeah. but it, to be honest as well yeah it makes you real because because what you realize is it's just people yeah you know they're just people they've got different circumstances but they're just people and they can be nice they can be nasty they can be but so can we all you know uh, and they're just they've just had a and sometimes they've just had a shitload of bad luck in a row that's just domino effects and they've ended up down there. But they, they bounce back sometimes. It's not, you know. Yeah, they do. And it's not for us to judge. But uh, if no. we just give a bit of happiness and a bit of warmth. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we are, we are, uh, you're not alone. We, we've, we've opened over 80 now across the UK. Some have, some have closed, some are still carrying on, firing away, some are new ones. But of all of those, everyone's got the same problem. So it's not just Croydon, it's Manchester, it's Liverpool, it's Sheffield, it's Southend. Um, so we need to really get the message out to people that even though times are tough, look, I know uh, it, people are skint and, and the thought of giving up half a day when they can maybe go and earn some money is a tough decision to make. But having said that, it, it it's not too much to ask for. So, and as I say, it will refresh your soul, which maybe it lead, will lead you to have 
a bit more energy and love for life that will end up making you earn a bit more money anyway. So, it, it, you know, don't, don't neglect that. Yeah. Yeah. And I do believe, I know it's an age-old saying, but in karma and what goes around comes around. And I don't, you know, you never do it for that. No. But my life has definitely been richer since yeah. I started it. And I don't know whether it's that or what, I don't know. But I definitely know that my life has definitely been richer since yeah, I started. Amazing, so thank it? you, Stu. You're very welcome. Um, thank you. And it, I'm so, so pleased when we got Croydon going again. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll make it happen. We will make it happen. But we Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It'll come back. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Annabelle. Um, That's all right. Your day. And uh, yeah. we'll get this out as soon as possible. We'll put the links for Evolve and all other stuff. If you want to put any links to for, for the home education and stuff, We'll put all that on there. Anyone who's interested in any of it, you know, it's been yeah, a brilliant. I'll send you a bit of info. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. I, I feel very honoured and privileged to be here. So I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jude. Yeah.